We're approaching the end of this series with regards to uh, conversational Christianity, but uh, I want to make sure that I capitalize on a very important part of Paul's life. In our fellowship, the word testimony is kind of avoided, and there's a good reason for that. Um, The denominational world has taken that, as with so many other topics, and twisted it and turned it into things it should not be. You and I were not at the foot of the cross. You and I cannot personally testify to seeing the blood of Jesus run down his side or any of those kind of things. But we most definitely do have a testimony. A testimony is just simply telling what you know, what you've seen, what you have experienced. Uh, I have, on occasion, been been called to be a a witness in a trial to testify to the character of someone. And my only purpose is basically being a preacher, watching that young man grow up or whatever it was, and to be able to say that that person was an individual who had this character, that character, whatever it may be. I'm able to testify to what I've seen, what I know. I can't testify to what I haven't seen. But each of us in the room have had experiences with the Lord throughout life. I think all of us would attest to the fact that God has been an intricate part of our life. There would be no hope. You wouldn't even be sitting here this morning if it weren't for the fact that you have a testimony. There's something unique, special about your story. And it's unique in that it's not my story. I've had a path that took me in a direction that your path didn't take you. And so testimonies are really and truly, they're our, it's our word. We ought not allow the denominational world to steal our words. The word revival is another one. We, we, tend, to, we, we tend to shape that. We're going to call it a gospel meeting. We're not going to call it a revival. I don't know why we do that. Why do we allow the, the, the world to steal our terms? Revival is our concept. Restoration Christians, that's our word. And we need to be able to grab a hold of that and, and take it and use it. Well, in today's lesson, the word testimony is one that you're going to see repeatedly. In fact, it is the, the word of uh, the key word of our, that we're going to use with regards to conversational Christianity. Now, I'm going to pop around a little bit. And so I need you to kind of stay with me. We're going to be at the end, uh, towards, the, towards the end of the book of Acts. We're going to be in chapters 24, excuse me, chapter 22, 24, and then 26. 22, 24, and 26. So if you can kind of get your thumb and finger and all that in one, and we're, we're chapter 22, we're not going to deal with very much. But I wanted to set us up to show you the consistency of Paul's testimony and suggest to you that these three items should be a part of your testimony as well. Meaning that when you have a conversation with someone, these are three goals that you should have in mind. I'd like to be able to cover these three things eventually with that person. Now, it doesn't all hap- always happen. Most of you know that I, uh, we have, Cindy and I started here a couple months ago, we started Salvage for the Savior. And uh, what we do is we take stuff, we've been selling off stuff that we don't need. We are, we've had way too much stuff in our life. And we got stuff in storage that hadn't seen the light of day in, in years. And we're selling it. Well, last night I got to sell a toolbox. And uh, the, I met the person at the Walmart parking lot and we got some money. And we're taking all that money and we're turning it into funds to support the Restoration School of Biblical Studies, which is also who supports missionaries abroad. And and we have lessons such as this one, which will be part of that lesson. And folks all over the place watch these particular lessons. Well, last night as I gave that, or I sold that toolbox to a couple from Blyville of all places, 
um, I was compelled to share part of my story. Now, I didn't get an opportunity. It was cold, etc. I didn't get an opportunity to share in depth what I wanted to. But I will say that I was blessed to be able to share with them some of my spiritual uh, values and have a prayer with them before they departed to go back to Blyville. I was thankful for that chance. These three characteristics, however, ought to be on our hearts when we try to go through the processes of sharing with somebody our own story and why it should lead them to Christ. Paul's going to demonstrate them in chapters 22, 24, and 26. And the three points are simply this. He wants to, he's going to share with them how he came to faith, came to understand Jesus, gave his life to the Lord, his salvation experience. That's number one. Then he's going to talk about his life after coming to Christ and the values that changed within his existence and why he got after various things in his life. And then number three, he always tries to conclude with a challenge. And the reason I'm going to skip part of chapter 22 is because they never allow him to get to that part. The third part is the challenge. So if you're going to summarize, it is how he came to faith, what he did in his life following that, and then challenging that person to duplicate some of the things that he has been about in his own life. When you go to chapter 22, and again, I'm only going to summarize this, but as you get to chapter 22, you might recall that Paul's in trouble, and he's going to basically give his backstory. And uh, when you when you come down to verse 12, it says that, And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of the Jews, lived there, came and he stood before me, and he said, Brother Saul, receive your sight, etc., etc. And you're going to see in verse 16, which is one that we often quote, And now why are you waiting? Arise, be baptized, wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. We know the story of Saul, who becomes Paul, in Acts chapter uh, 22, uh, verse 16 specifically. This whole story plays out as far as the history is concerned, all the way back in Acts chapter 9. But notice how Paul starts as he's giving his defense to these Jews. Notice how he starts with the story of his conversion. Now, there's other backstory that he gives there prior to this, which is significant. But it all is culminating in Acts 22, 16, where Ananias says, What you waiting on? Get up, be baptized, wash away your sins, calling upon the name of the Lord. And Saul is going to do that. So he starts with his conversion story. The second thing he does is he tells of his life, after being a disciple of Christ, after coming to, to, to Jesus and accepting him as his, as his Lord. And again, I'm not going to read all of this, but if you notice verse 17, uh, it, it goes on to say that when I returned to Jerusalem, I was praying in the temple, fell into a trance, etc. And so you're going to see that he's going to continue with his story as to how Christ changed his life. The third part, the challenge, never gets to be made in chapter 22, because the audience begins to interrupt him. And you'll notice if you come on down here to, what is it, verse 22? Uh, Up to this word, they listened to him. Then they raised their voices and they said, away with such a fellow from the earth. So he never gets to get to the point of challenge. Here's what you need to do with my story. I came to the Lord. He changed my life. And now here's what you need to do with my story. Here's, you need to incorporate it into your life. He never gets to get to, verse, or to the third point because they interrupt him. He wants to, but he didn't get there. Now I need you to flip over to chapter 24 because it's in 24 that you find an even more difficult, in some ways, situation for Paul. 
In chapter 24, he's not standing before a bunch of Jews trying to defend himself and his life story. He's actually standing in a court of law and defending himself with regards to who he is and really ultimately what's going to happen to his life. So this is a bigger moment for him. And yet I think it's a moment that we ought to appreciate because he's standing before a, an impressive audience, one that has his, basically his life in their hands, and yet he doesn't shy away from his testimony. I love chapter 24 and 26 and the power that we see in it. In chapter 24, he's standing before Felix, Governor Felix. And you'll see in verse 24, 24 and 24, you see the beginning of what I'm, I'm about to, or the three points, if you will. After some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was a Jewess, and he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ. Number one, we don't have the details here that we have back in 22, but he's speaking about faith in Christ, and there's only one thing that Paul could possibly be saying with regards to faith in Christ, and that is sharing his own story with regards to the faith in Christ. Even if he did nothing but quote scripture, he's still telling it from his own context. And so the first thing that you see in the three points progression of his testimony is that he's always going to share how he came to know the Lord. Now that's hugely significant to our own conversations because it gives a personality to the conversion process. It's not some kind of religious mechanicism, mechanical process that we go through. This is an actual personal acceptance of Jesus. And although the points that we see in Scripture with regards to salvation are always consistent, your acceptance of Christ is uniquely different than mine. Now, all of us hopefully culminated that acceptance through a death, burial, and resurrection experience called baptism. But there are things that led you to Jesus that never, ever touched my life. And there are things that led me to Jesus that never touched yours. So your testimony is unique. And what Paul does in our passage, in that little phrase, spoke, speak about faith, he no doubt is sharing some of the personal elements of his own journey. He may very well have gone back through and talked to him about the road to Damascus. I don't know. It doesn't say. But whatever took place here, Paul is speaking of faith from his own perspective, just as you have to speak about faith from your perspective. The moment that you lost that loved one and what got you through that dark valley. The moment that uh, you were fired from a job. The moment you had your first child. The moment you fill in the blank. All of these things are a part of your journey of faith. And all of them contribute either to your coming to Christ or your staying with Christ. But it's all part of your journey of faith. And Paul always wants to incorporate that into his testimony. You're going to see this later on with Festus and Agrippa as well. Number two, notice verse 25. And he reasoned about righteousness and self-control. Again, we're still with, uh, with Felix at this point and his wife, but Paul is going to share his conversion story. 
Then he's going to reason with him about righteousness, no doubt from his own perspective, things that have challenged his righteousness in life, temptations that he's had to overcome, and self-control. He's going to talk, no doubt, from his own perspective about things that have been difficult for him to overcome with regards to self-control. Maybe it was a temper. I don't know. But whatever it was, he's going to reason with these two individuals from his perspective about how Jesus changed him and made him into a better person. So he tells his conversion story. He tells his life change story. And then he's going to offer the challenge. If you'll notice at the last part of verse 25, it says, Felix well, let me, let me read the whole verse. And he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment. Felix was alarmed and said, go away uh, for the present. When I get an opportunity, I'll summon you. Evidently, whatever Paul said about judgment to come was enough to scare Felix into, I don't, know, I don't want to talk about that no more. No, 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 no. Maybe later, but not right now. Meaning, we can imply that whatever Paul said with regards to judgment, the challenge, get your life right, Felix. You're not living as you need to. You don't know Jesus. You need to come to him. Whatever he said, it was said in such a powerful way that it put the shakes into him. He shut the conversation down. I don't want to talk about that no more. Now, you might look at that as being defeating to the conversational process. I do not. There are times that you and I are called to push the button. And in pushing the button, recognize that it's going to force the listener to do one of two things. They will either accept and change or reject and move on. But one of the things that I'm really concerned about with regards to the Lord's church today is that we get a lot of preachers who get into pulpits such as this and they got all the niceties and they got all the fancy talk and they've got all the mercy and all the grace and all of the, the, the be nice to your neighbor, just be tolerant, just be accepting and they never get to the point of pushing a button. There was a time, you remember it, no doubt from this very pulpit, that our men were known for hellfire and damnation sermons. And when you came to a revival, or in our case, a gospel meeting, you didn't leave without feeling the flames of, of hell potentially licking at your own feet if you weren't right with the Lord. We're not that way no more. We have become a tolerant people. We've become a passive people. And our preachers, they need to grow a backbone. And they need to be able to speak those things. They need, not able, they are able. They need to have the courage to say the things. They need to push the button. Whatever Paul said here to this powerful man who had his very life in his, in his hands, he said it in such, with such intensity that it caused the man to say, shut him down. Say, I, I don't want to hear no, no, no more about that. When's the last time we had a preacher get in the pulpit and say things that challenged us to such a degree that somebody get up and walked out? I won't hear no more of that. We've got to stop playing church. And start becoming the church. And understanding what the church was in the first century is key to that. They were not always agreeable people. Because they set a pattern. They had a lifestyle. That when light shone into darkness, the darkness was going to challenge it or move away. And I'm concerned that our fellowship has, has departed from that path in a great way. So he presents this challenge.
All right, the last illustration I want you to see now is in verse 26. Or excuse me, chapter 26. When you move over to chapter 26, you're going to see Paul has been left in jail. You're, you're familiar with that. And Festus comes on board now. And, and Festus, want, Festus wants to seek some advice from Agrippa. I don't know what to write to, to, uh, uh, to Caesar with regards to this guy. And so Agrippa says, yeah, I'd be happy to listen to him. And so now we're going to stand before Festus and Agrippa. The first, Acts chapter 22, he's before a bunch of Jews defending himself. Acts chapter 24, he's before Felix and Drusilla. Acts chapter 26, he's before Festus and Agrippa. And you're going to find the same testimony. Same three things are going to take place here. Notice chapter 26, verses 12 through 18. In connection, Paul speaking, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority of the commission of the high priest. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a great... You know this story. 12 through 18 is his conversion story. He's going to talk about how he came to the Lord. That's the first point of his testimony. He's going to offer his faith experience, which should be our first element to conversations as well. If I get to this point, I need to be able to share with, how did you, how did I come to the Lord? It gives personality to the conversion process. People want to know, what does that even mean? You got dunked in water? Well, what's that all about? It's like the little guy who came to visit with us one time. I believe, I believe it was Bryson who brought him when he was very, very small. He just couldn't get the communion thing. He had no idea what it was. He had been unchurched. His parents didn't take him. And, and all of a sudden, we got this. He called it a, he called it a snack as it came through. He, he, and he wanted to know how come he didn't get any. And Gabe, Bryson was much younger then, too. Bryson didn't get any. So Bryson had to whisper to the little guy and explain to him what communion was all about, you know. Well, that can be the same thing with your conversion story. We got so many religious terms that we throw around today. We need to break it down and let people know exactly what happened. I, I'll tell you what did, what took place. I had a conscience issue. I, and I thought to myself, I'm not right with the creator. And if I'm not right with the creator, what does that mean at the end of time? And I began to search. And I had individuals who began to bring scripture to my attention. And as we looked at the scriptures and we noticed what Jesus taught, and then we saw what his people taught after the, one of the things that was undeniable to me is that one of the things they did is they got baptized. What's this baptism thing all about? I've seen people go out to the river and get dunked underneath the water. We even used to, as kids, playing in the swimming pool, we used to pretend baptizing people and that kind of thing. But what's it really mean? I needed somebody to explain to me the process, the Romans 6, 3, and 4. When I confess my sins, I'm dying to myself just like Jesus died. When they put me in the water, I'm being buried just like Jesus would put in the tomb. And when I come up, completely cleansed, because Colossians 2 says that's the moment that he circumcises the sin from my life. When I come up, I'm a new person. Just like when Jesus came out of the tomb, he was changed. That's what this whole thing is about. Somebody needs to go through the processes of talking its specifics, giving it a personality with regards to the conversion process. And Paul was willing to do that. The second thing you'll notice, verses 19 through 23, and again, I'm not going to read it all, but you'll notice that he gives a life experience. 
Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but I declared uh, first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout the region of Judea, the Gentiles should repent, etc. He goes on to talk about how that Jesus changed his life. So verses 12 through 18, you've got the conversion, the faith. I came to Jesus. Verses 19 down through 23, you've got the Jesus changed my values. And now I've become an evangelist and I'm doing this and I'm talking about Jesus everywhere I go. Then you'll notice in verses 24 through 29, this challenge that he's going to present. And as he was saying these things, that is Paul, as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, he's going to interrupt Paul just like the Jews did back in 22, but Paul's going to come back this time. He's going to have more things to say. You're going to say, Paul, you're out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. But Paul said, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Felix, or Festus, excuse me. But I am speaking the true and rational words. For the king knows about these things. And to him, and when he says the king, he's referring to Agrippa. He's not referring to Festus here. For the king knows. So he's going to use Agrippa as the evidence. He's going to say, for the king knows about these things. And to him, I speak boldly. For I am persuaded that none of these things have escaped his notice. For this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I want you to pause for a moment. This is completely off topic. But I want you to recognize the power, the boldness of Paul. Paul's on trial. His life is at stake right here. But he points at Agrippa and he says, Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? And then he doesn't even give him a chance to answer. He he answers for it. He says, I know you do. And then he goes on. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you believe. And Agrippa says to Paul, in a short time, Would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul says to him, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am. That's the challenge, except for these chains, these chains. So Paul, as he concludes his testimony in this court of law, he's going to be really pointing towards Agrippa, although Festus is sitting right next to him. And Festus is going to get it too. But he's going to be pointing towards Agrippa and he's going to say, Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. And Agrippa cuts him off. He says, you think in this short little conversation you're going to convince me to be a Christian? He says, I hope so. Whether a long conversation, short conversation, my goal is to get you to where I am. Because like you, Agrippa, I believe the prophets. I was where you are. But I came to recognize that those prophets were speaking about the Christ. And my journey's only half finished if I stay with just the prophets. I've got to give my life to the Christ. And so he says, by way of challenge, I hope that's what you do, Agrippa. So when you see these three stories unfold, the first is Paul just giving his testimony before a bunch of Jews who don't like him. The second is Paul giving his testimony before Felix and his wife. And then the third, giving his testimony before Festus and Agrippa. You notice the consistency here. Now, each time it's phrased a little bit differently, but he always has these three points, or at least he wants to get these three points in. In the first one, admittedly, he doesn't get the third point in because they cut him off. 
But he wants to get in. Number one, I want to tell you how I came to Christ. Number two, I want to tell you how Christ changed my life. And number three, I want to challenge you to take the same journey. Those elements must be part of our own testimony. Now, I'm not saying you're going to get the chance always to share all three. I didn't last night. But that's the goal. To be able to make sure we tell folks about how we got to Jesus, how he changed our life, and why they should do the same.